Hi, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for this week, ending Friday the 2nd of February 2024, first podcast of the year. We're on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 to 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. And coming up on the podcast this week, Michael Harden is back for Food Interlude and he tells us what to look out for in 2024 and Nat has a genius invention that she uh, uses to clean something in her home. Thank you, Mon. (laughs) And psychologist and author Dr. Ahona Guha spoke to us about her book Life Skills for a Broken World and Birdman on the Victorian government's decision not to ban duck hunting. We look into the currently hot topic of hydration and round out the week with comedian David Quirk telling us all about his new painting slash unregistered child mining business. Triple R. For food interlude, we're blessed to have with us lifelong student of the sumptuous, Michael Hard. Morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? Really well, and we're very we're very fortunate to, that you're with us for another year. What? Uh, well, how are you feeling about it all? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm sort of <laughs> yeah. It's sort that of like, let's everything. pause. Like you know, it's sort of like I was talking to somebody the other day about you know they were, uh, normally people are going oh wow it's the new year and this is going to be my year and somebody <laughs> said somebody said that the other day and we were all like shut up <laughs> shut up and we're all it. knocking on wood and like, it. we're just sort of like sitting there sh- like thinking what are they. What's coming next? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah right. But, uh, yeah. And in a food sense, what is on the horizon? And and does January mark a, a moment of change in the in the restaurant scene? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody hits refresh. You know, it's sort of like and and you know, there's always sort of January. It's always quite quiet, and so you know, sometimes it's like particularly in times like this. I think I've spoken to friends who have restaurants and stuff, and they're all sort of a little bit, particularly in the city, they're all a little bit freaked out because there's not not as much foot traffic, and is this the way it's going to be? And it's been a very quiet January and everything. But I think um, you know, it's always that way in January. It, it goes slow, and I think that. Generally, you know, restaurateurs and people in the hospital industry are sort of, you know, kind of. You're like, is this it? You know, because it's always, it's always, it's not a, it's not an easy business to be mm. in. So it's like, you know, if things slow down a little bit, you do feel it and everything. But I think the good thing is that there just seems to be just new ideas and fresh ideas and new trends coming through. And you just kind of like, if you can stand back and look at the big picture, you can sort of see the different waves that come through. And like, sometimes it's going to be, you know, this type of dining and other times, and it sort of reflects where we are. So, you know, one of the things that I'm really enjoying at the moment is the kind of diversification of scenes that were once sort of a bit of a monoculture. So particularly of talking about sort of cafes and breakfasts and things Mm -hmm. like that, they're becoming really really, really interesting in terms of the different cuisines, different restaurants are doing. There's a lot of places now, you know, because we've got this, we seem to have, you know, thank everything, um, that we've got like a bit of a Thai resurgence happening Mm. at the moment, you know, lots of new Thai restaurants, but that is also bringing a lot of Thai breakfast places and stuff around as well. And just kind of like, you know, and sweet, sort of sweet stuff, you know, with like, you know, things like Kaya toast and, you know, with with coconut milk and those sort of things, but also sort of savoury things as well, um, you know, kind of like, you know, there was, there's a, there's a really good um, Indonesian like Indonesian influenced joint called Warcop that has one in Richmond, one in the city, and they're doing things like uh, like you know for, you can have for breakfast like it's like a fillet of fish, but it's like it's a sambal spiked fillet fillet fish. So you know, kind of fish sandwiches and you know coconut 
puddings and you know all of, you know all of those sort of things that are coming in. There's like there's a place in Collingwood called Chiaki, um, which is down on Wellington Street, and um, it's doing um, it's a Ochazuka, which is a sort of a broth and rice style breakfast. You know, they do sets down there. It's a beautiful room, you know, kind of very calming, lovely tea, fantastic coffee, um, all of that sort of stuff. And then they sort of later on, they turn into sort of more like an an izakaya a bit later on, but they're doing that sort of, um, those sort of foods for breakfast. And I'm I'm loving, you know, I love love an Asian breakfast. You know, it's like it's, whether it's from, you know, wherever in Asia they seem to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you've got the Thai stuff, you've got, you know, Vietnam. You've got, you know, the Chinese, you know, with Chinese, you know, yum cha, of course. Mm. So. It's such an amazing start to the day, isn't it? Yes. To be taken out somewhere exciting instantly. Yeah, and to sort of, you're eating these sort of humble dishes, like simple dishes, but they're sort of comforting in ways that it's sort of like if, you know, you come from an Anglo background, you're sort of thinking, you know, there's sort of, toast and jam or, you know, porridge or, mm. you know, those sort of things that are kind of really comforting. Whereas, and then you sort of suddenly realise, yeah, but there's all sorts of versions of that sort of food. Like, you know, it's kind of like my one of my favourite breakfasts in the world is congee, oh. you know, and it's kind of like that is one way to set your day up in the right way. You know, it's kind of like that. And, and you know, it's similar, it's similar with the, um, with the, with the um, Ochazuka. Um, you know, that kind of just that comforting miso-y, broth-y kind of thing that's just, I don't know, there's something about it that calms me going into the day. There's nothing better. I was just in Vietnam over the break Mm -hmm. and I just, the breakfasts over there were heaven, like just having noodles, the Vietnamese coffee and then topping it off as well with like the banana pancake as well, like you got the French influence coming through as well. I was like, this doesn't get much better. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah, the Vietnamese side of stuff is great, you know, because it's like one of the great you know, um, fusion foods and mm. it's sort of like, you know, on the very small plus side of colonisation, mm. you do have that, you know, a couple of times like when the when the local food and the and the food of the coloniser, you mm. know, came, came blended in. and did some good things. So, you know, it's like, and I think Vietnamese, um, it, you know, that that's very much like that. Given I went on the, such a, you get back from Vietnam and I went on a month-long search trying to recreate a coffee. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, that, yeah that's yeah. a way to make you sad. <laughs> 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 totally. What is the place, the name of the place? in Collingwood again. It's called Chiaki, C-H-I-A-K-I. In the restaurant scene, how do new ideas bubble up? Are are they sometimes calculated, more often organic, market forces, some irrepressible passion? Is it a soup of all of that? I think a lot of it, you know, it comes from a lot, a lot of the time comes from young chefs. I think what's happening in Melbourne at the moment, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on that um, chefs from sort of all different sorts of ethnic backgrounds go and work in sort of say fine dining for a while. Like so they'll go, you know, you'll, you've got chefs that are working for the for Andrew McConnell's group or for, you know, places like Vitamond or probably Ben Shiri, you know, at Attica and those sort of things. And then they decide to go off on their own. They do something small, you know, because they've got small budgets and everything, so they've got a little place somewhere, but they're they're using, they're sort of combining sort of that fine dining technique and some of those, the, you know, the fun toys that they've learnt to use that in those sort of, sort of situations. And then they're kind of applying them to um, something, you know, something that they used to cook at home or, you know, that they, they miss from, you know, where, when they were growing up or whatever. So it's sort of like it's bringing in... An, there just seems to be a, an openness to fusion, whereas, you know, 20 years ago it was an absolutely dirty word, you know. It's sort of like, you know, if you called a chef 
confusion, you, you, you know, really? you'd probably get slapped across the face with a glove, you know, it's sort of like so. Um, but now it's sort of like it's not really termed that because it's still, there's still a bit of a stench around fusion for some reason, but that's where some of the most interesting stuff in Melbourne is happening at the moment, sort of like, you know, where these young chefs from different backgrounds, you know, like, for example, I think there's some really, really interesting stuff going on in terms of Indian cuisine and it's one of the things that I'm excited about this year because it seems like... Um, similar to what happened, I guess, with Chinese cuisine, you know, a decade or so ago where it started to... You started to realise that the Chinese food label didn't is almost meaningless in some ways because it's like every region is quite different, mm. you know, on the t- style of food and, like, the you know, the spicing and the meats and the protein and the vegetables and everything that are used in different ways. So similar thing happening with Indian food at the moment because, you know, as the as the Indian population of Melbourne is going up, of course, the number of Indian joints that, that are opening up are great. And, you know, when you've got a larger population, a lot of these places can afford to specialise because there's enough people from that region that are now living in Melbourne to give them a mm-hmm. give them a bit of a ba- you know it's sort of like a backdrop and then the wider community can sort of gradually move in and start learning how so what you know one of the, one of the places I'm loving at the moment is some um, toddy shop in um, in Fitzroy mm-hmm. um, and it is it's a Carolyn restaurant and the food is absolutely delicious um, unbelievable um, and uh, it's it's doing some you know some really really interesting sort of it's spiced and but not it's it's sort of like it's a lighter cuisine like you know a lot of the time when you think about indian food you're thinking very rich and heavy mm. dishes and there are there's great tradition of that you know in parts of india but this you know kerala is a coastal region and so it's very seafood it's like there's a lot of coconut there's a lot of limes there's so you know those sort of you know flavors you know beautiful sort of fish curries and things like mm. that so was i right to feel a bit gazumped that sydney got a Little India, yeah, the, yeah, Sydney, or you know, that's a lot of they the got time, it, they, did they? Yeah, uh, and the oh. prime minister came, the Indian prime minister came out, and what do it. they know? Yeah, yeah, and oh. I think also that we we have a pretty good little India, but it's like it's not in right in the middle of the city. It's, it's in Dandenong, like isn't it? Yeah, out in Dandenong, then okay. sort of like you know Springvale and places, you know, where there there's a, more stuff going on out mm-hmm. there. Mm. It will move in, you know. It's sort of like they are there are some very good Indian restaurants closer in as well as you know happening, and there again, you know, um, you know places like Tutty Shop, and then you know Entervia Laundry is another one that's sort of in the in Carlton, which is um, it's a more sort of like a digger station Indian restaurant and they um, they try and um, do a different cuisine. They change the menu to do a different cuisine every time. So How ambitious. Do, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really – it started off it's, – it's called Entervia Laundry because it was originally the woman that, that runs it um, had it in her home. And so – and to get to the table, they had sort of – you know, you had to go through the laundry to get into. So it's like that's the way that they – so but she's moved into new – like oh, a year or so ago, new premises in Carlton. How many times were you in her house? Uh, only once. Okay. Only <laughs> once. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's sort of like, you know, there's, there's that. And the other, the other thing that's happening, at the, you know, it's sort of there's the, the Filipino cuisine is so, suddenly mm. coming in um, as a, you know, it's sort of like and people have realised for some reason, you know, Filipino food was like kind of a joke. 
And um, but it is a really really interesting cuisine with lots and lots and lots and lots of different influences from you know ever from Portugal and from you know from, there's there's a there's an indigenous cuisine um, in the Philippines and then you know there've been there's been so many people through there sort of ruling the, the you know or pretending they ruled it you know the Portuguese Americans you know are all there so they have like this it's really they have no it's like they have no boundaries. Mm. You know, they're kind of like, if that tastes good, we're putting it together and we don't care. Does the number so. of islands influence the disparate nature of a cuisine? I, I think so. You know, you look at you look at Indonesian. So, you know, and there's sort of lots of different, like, you know, from one, one island to the next, everything's going to be, you know, like almost like it's like, okay, well, it's not even recognisable as, you know, coming from the same, same mm. country. So it's great that way. I think we're going to have a fun year, Michael. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. I think so too. It's yeah. going to be, yeah, like we're going to keep it positive and we're just going to keep, you know, and I'll, I will eat. For Australia. So, <laughs> Beautiful. Trust you, thanks for doing the hard work. Michael Lahard, happy new year. Thanks, thanks for coming back. Thanks. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Sometimes, I won't say the most exciting, but maybe the most gratifying part of having time off work and having holidays is not always going away, but just being able to get stuck into like little chores and things around the house that you maybe don't feel like you have time to do Mm. otherwise when the weeks roll on. I know for my brother-in-law, and I mean, and who doesn't love like a home hack, I guess, and it's like start of the year, people are still, you know, we spoke about this a little bit on air, you know, yeah, I think they say like Jan 17th is when people kind of generally throw in the towel for New Year's resolutions oh. and things like that. But Can't even make it to three weeks. Pathetic. Yeah. Pathetic. All of us. Come on. No, but I guess, yeah, we kind of briefly spoke about like people go, oh, no, I don't do New Year's resolutions. And I know that's what I say out loud. But it is. It's a fantastic kind of place to stop and reflect and maybe try do things more efficiently, mm. I guess. Anyway, this is just an aside thought, but I know speaking with my brother-in-law, one of the things he really enjoyed with his time off work, he's a teacher, was labelling. He got a label maker. Great, yep. And so he finally was like in the kitchen, everything came out, everything's got a label on it now, it's got a place and that was a real highlight. Relatable. For him And I know because I've been living on my own for the the last six months and one of the great things I did enjoy about living in a share house was the cleaning wheel. I mean, I didn't necessarily love it, but it just keeps you on top of that. Mm. And that's something maybe I found a little bit more difficult when living on my own. And I think the only one name on the wheel. Exactly. Mm. Oh, it's me again. (laughs) I'm on the bathroom. (laughs) And I had a bit of a discovered a bit of a hack for cleaning the bathroom this holiday which I am absolutely loving Mm. like people like how was Vietnam it was like it was great but Mm. have you ever tried cleaning your shower this way so I think the fluid dispensing like kitchen brush that you use for your dishes like a wand yeah the kitchen wand dish wand is the greatest invention I think modern invention Mm -hmm. out of the last couple of decades like it is absolutely brilliant (laughs) Mm. Do you, how do you feel about it, the wand? I think Silicon Valley is infirm. In, yeah. <laughs> Better than the iPhone. <laughs> um, oh, you can make calls with the wand. You've never you tried can. it. Yeah. I think uh, I no do. No one's listening. It, it, 
When I go into people's kitchens and I see that they still just have a sponge that you have to touch with your hands, mm. I'm appalled. Okay. <laughs> do you... But I do find I'm like, since it, yeah, it is. It's great. I, I agree. I'm not being sarcastic. I think it's a really good invention. Mon's looking for the visitor book to sign and leave her comments. In there. <laughs> great dinner. Uh, <laughs> terrible cleaning products. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> How do you go with the gloves? Well, so... see, I've never been much of a glove mm-hmm. wearer. Yeah, but then when I do, I'm always like, oh, my God, my hands are so dry. Has anybody ever heard of wearing gloves to wash the dishes? I always forget Mm. how effective they are. I think if you move into a new share house, it's incumbent upon you to maybe clean the drain even if there's nothing necessarily mm. wrong with it yeah. because you don't want in six or nine or however many months to be pulling out a giant <gasps> clump of oh. hair from the previous tenant yeah, and then I'll, you'll feel violated. Yeah. I feel like hearing it's it, really. inevitable. <laughs> Living in the share houses, when you're on the bathroom, there's always hair removal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. it's just a part of it. Um, but or what, with the gloves as well, I think the only trap – with the gloves for me is sometimes I'll just continue wearing one with a hole in it. Like it just becomes a habit to put them on and And then you're like, wait a minute, these are completely useless. My hands are sopping. (laughs) But they look good, Mm. don't they? look like I'm serious about cleaning. Yeah, adds a bit of colour to the outfit. Maybe you're just wearing all black, lovely green and yellow or Mm. pink or just – but anyway, the kitchen wand, I've taken it to the bathroom. Like who says it needs to stay in the kitchen sink? That's amazing. It is amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Mon. Because I think the shower is something that creeps up on you. You know, you want to stay on top of that Mm. and it is – you want to keep it clean. It's a place where you can kind of relax, maybe unwind, end of the day. And, yes, I was like always kind of looking to like optimise my efficiency with cleaning the bathroom. And then I was like, wait a minute, I get my own separate wand for the shower – put in the shower cleaner into the wand and then you just kind of incrementally, like every second shower, getting in there in between the grout, on the tiles, on the glass because the scour on the the window is not too harsh. Mm. Give it a rinse down. It's fun. Mm. It's... It's fun. It's fun. I, think it's, <laughs> I, I, I can see. It's maybe a bit of a workout. And on the text line, to. they agree. They said one for shower is genius. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm so thrilled with it. Did you think of it or had you seen it somewhere? No, I, I thought of it. And I don't think that I'm the first person to think of it. No, you but, are. Claim it. No, I will. You're the first and, person in this room. I mean, I'm obviously thinking a bathroom line. I'll be rolling it out. Mm. But it. Do you ha- did you have any kind of like domestic chores? That well, you- the label the labeling I can relate to, but this was before the year was out. Last year, we bought a label maker, and Will got really into got really into. Uh, Will's also on parental leave. I should mention. Mm-hmm. Um, so he it- wouldn't possibly have time to label otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but getting containers. So the pantry uh-huh. I used to always look at like pictures of um, of organized pantries online, and I must reiterate how cool I am but I would always look at pictures of organized pantries online and think that's so great oh I wish I wish I could do that and every now and then I'd go through like you know you have all those tiny little bags of spices with like little pegs on yes. them and they're all falling apart and there's mm-hmm. cardamom pods over the ground and moths everywhere like, yeah every like twice a year I'd go through and like tidy it all up and it was always a kind of crap job and then Will gets 
in there and he buys containers and he buys a label maker mm-hmm. and it just looks so good. I is, find it really satisfying. With the containers, is it like uniformed, kind of one container? Do you go glass or do you kind of recycle different things? Do you have an approach I with that? I keep a lot of jars but then there's a bunch that we've bought that, that like work together. Mm. I mean, people famously go overboard with label makers. Isn't there an idea? It's like labelling the sugar. It's like, no shit, it's sugar. Well, I, it's yeah. the same thing. I think there was one thing where it was labelled... I had, a, I had an issue because when he labelled um, he labelled peanuts rather than writing unsalted peanuts because we have both. Okay. He wrote peanuts, new label, no salt. Uh, and I was like, why didn't you just write unsalted peanuts? And we got a divorce. Yeah, yeah. and now the marriage is over. <laughs> That's interesting. So he wanted the noun up top. And yeah. then the specific the specificity yeah. after. I, yeah. I, I can These I are peanuts. Yeah. By the way, there's no salt. Yeah. No salt. And is this glass? It's a glass You jar. can see that they're peanuts. Yeah. That's the other thing. So and because then it's also then it's also like, well, when we run out of these, do I have to fill that with peanuts? Well, again? I've got a jar in my house of Werther's originals. Now ah. presumably they actually will last forever. But let's say I had a, a party of ninety two year olds mm. yeah. and they cleared me out and I've got this jar with just Werther's on it. Mm. Oh. And then, then I feel kind of beholden to fill that jar you with only Werther. Have, yeah, it should just be lollies. Yeah, little treats, little treats. But are yeah. the Werther's wrapped? Because otherwise, this is toffee. That can get sticky. Because sometimes are they in, are they individually wrapped. They're individually wrapped. Mm. Yeah, because that salt's going to stay on that jar. Yeah, that's what I labelled on. Individually wrapped <laughs> Werther's <laughs> originals brackets lollies. That's actually what I got for Christmas though from my mum a six pack of jars because she swears by. She's not this. I know. She wrote me a lovely card and, no joke, a six-pack of these jars oh, that good. she specifically likes. They've kind of got this so they're plastic. they're glass jars? Yeah, they're glass jars. Probably fits like 300 mils of liquid. Quite. Um, Looks like a coffee white. that Bigfoot might drink out of. Yeah. They, I do double. I use them as water glasses as well, so oh, I guess. Yeah, 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 but then okay. they also have got this kind of plastic lid. And nice. my mum serves everything. In these jars, oh. like we go to the park, there'll be like a hummus in there, that, or there might be okay. maybe she has a drink. I'd put a smoothie in this jar. Oh right, I've got muesli and kind of nuts in there at the moment. Yeah. But that's her kind of home hack that she lives by, and that's what we all got—a six pack of jars for Christmas. Oh my gosh! Okay, oh, well, actually, I was skeptical, but now that I've seen it and you've just spruiked it like Moira, I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> I do like rooms getting uh, having other devices or their. Devices that are germane to the room migrating to another one. Mm. Like the kitchen wand in the shower. Mm. Okay. Because I've, I take the toothbrush to the kitchen. <gasps> that, hey. is, that is way too... Well, to, to get it to clean hard to reach places. Right. Yeah. right. Not I'm not brushing my teeth, teeth in the kitchen sink. sink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and picksters as well. Oh, they what are they? Get, well, they go between your teeth. Oh, and so mm. it's, they're fine wire things. And I... Oh. It sounds like I'm... <laughs> On some intense drug bender. Yes. <laughs> you're cl- tiny crack. I'm imagining on your knees in the kitchen. Yeah. Didn't you? With four 92-year-olds sucking on their worthers. Yeah. <laughs> this is the weirdest party ever. And I won't be coming to another one. <laughs> Someone also suggested uh, using a chamois or a chamois in the shower after each use. Okay. To wipe it down. Yeah. Or use the scrubby, you know, look... You it's can... hard hitting here on breakfasters, and that's what they're listening for. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I think I like those window wipers as well. That could oh, be. I've got it. one of those in the shower. A yeah. squidgy. 
A squidgy. It's sponge on one side and a, and a squidgy, or the, squidgy on the other. Use that after each shower. You go. You got your dish wand. You got your squidgy. You're in the shower for twenty minutes. Yeah. Shammy your feet. But it's like you're in the like the school closet where they keep all the supplies. Yeah, yeah just keep them all in the shower. In the corner, yeah. You forget to wash your hair. <laughs> Triple R. Dr. Ahona Guha is a clinical and forensic psychologist who has written widely on matters related to mental health for The Age, The Guardian, The Saturday Paper, Breathe magazine and on SBS and ABC. Her new book is titled Life Skills for a Broken World, billed as a helpful, practical and realistic guide to good psychological health. And to tell us about these life skills in this broken world, the author and psychologist joins us now. Dr. Guha, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you so much. Great to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you as our first guest of the year. Uh, Oh, and a you. timely book. It, why does this book feel timely? Gosh, where do we start? I guess looking at um, what you what you just shared in the news, but but also just really looking around at the world: climate change, geopolitical strife, cost of living, spiraling anxiety, rates of rates of mental health issues. There's so much happening in the world at the moment, which is really impacting on people's mental health, creating so much distress. And that was really why I wrote this book. It was sometime in late 2021, where I looked around and went, oh, no, we've broken the world. <laughs> and, um, and obviously, I didn't expect things to be quite this bad. Um, things have really spiraled since then further, but hoping it'll be helpful to help people as they work out how to step into this new year. Yeah. Well, you've described it as a revolutionary framework for living well. What is a framework and why is this revolutionary? I describe a framework a little bit like a house. So often when we when we think of mental health, we think of it as this really monolithic entity, something that you either have or don't. Whereas I see it more like building a house from the ground up. So you've got your foundation, which I usually think of as our core values and our purpose. So the purpose is what am I going to do with my life, not why am I here, because we don't really know why why we're here. We, you know, happen to crawl out of primordial soup at the right time, really. Um, and then and then building on from that. So we've got the walls, we've got the structural walls. I don't I don't build build houses, so I'm not really sure what I'm what I'm saying here, but a range of things just around how we use thoughts, emotions, how we engage with our with our inner world and then and then how we engage with the outer world as well. So it's not just about us, but it's also about things like like how we treat other people, how we can stand being being disliked, how we can sit with views that, that don't align with ours and how we can use our, our energies and capacities to hopefully make the world a better place, mm. not just for ourselves, but, but others as well. Can a purpose change? Can values change? Absolutely. So when I work with people who are struggling with, with their values, we usually use a range of techniques to kind of drill down to what their key values are. And I usually recommend that people... Um, look at those every couple of years or maybe when there's a big transition. So obviously when you're a student, you're going to have very different values to when you become a parent, and that's just part of the natural transition of life. And it's really important to swing with that instead of feeling like you have to have these really black and white values. Mm. What about the nature of worry? Uh, what Does it serve any purpose does it, at all? Uh, and I'm wondering how c- can you avoid worry without tipping into self-perceptions of apathy? That's a great question. So worry 
is what I would describe as being a part of, of anxiety. So it's more the cognitive sense of what if something bad happens. And when we think of where we came from in the past, those of us who walked around looking up at the sky and checking out the beautiful rainbows would have tripped over a snake and died. Mm-hmm. So really worries serve a very key purpose. They're, they're there to, to help us make sense of the possible dangers, to notice the dangers, to problem solve and protect ourselves but like I talk about in the book the world's changed so we are no longer looking out for the snakes though obviously if you live in certain parts of Victoria that that's that's a good idea but we're looking more for very amorphous things so things like whether we are going to find love whether we are going to get get a good performance review whether we are going to live a good life whether we'll ever be able to afford a house the answer is probably no Mm. Um, but really, really difficult questions to kind of pin down. And what can happen is when we worry too much or when we can't see a way out and we can't problem solve, we can then start to feel really apathetic and there can be the sense of learned helplessness. Mm. What about the nature of introspection and maybe feeling like you have a handle on your own life and your place in the world, but how can you calibrate the accuracy of that perception? I think seeking corrective feedback from from, from other people is is really important because we are all very well defended psychologically. We all believe that our views are right and that and that other people are wrong, including me, mind you. I'm not I'm not attacking anyone else here. Um, But we are probably quite entitled and quite self self justifying at times. So I think taking the pulse of the culture around us, looking at what other people in our lives think as a way of checking our own assumptions is probably important. Introspection is really important. And one of the things that I find often in my own forensic work, so when I work with with offenders, is that they don't have this this inner vocabulary. I ask someone how they're feeling and they say, fine or shit, and there's nothing else. There's no kind of granular definition. And so because they don't have the vocabulary, because they don't understand their own thoughts, feelings, needs, emotions, history... There's 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 no capacity for them to identify what actually leads to an, an offence, which makes treatment very hard. So if you've got that capacity to be psychologically minded, to start to reflect and think through things, you're probably going to find life easier to transact. But you may also paralyse yourself at times mm. because you're so good at thinking. But these, like... is That introspection is a skill that you can learn. Absolutely. I think... It's a skill that we all have to a greater or lesser extent. Obviously, thinking about people who may have a, um, a, a intellectual disability, that's, that's, that's going to be trickier, but you can still learn certain basic things. So with someone like, like that, I'd use a basic visual emotions wheel to really get them thinking through what, what emotions are. But it is a skill that for, that for most of us, can be built over time. We just have to train our, ba- our our brains to think in that way. And we have to tolerate sitting with emotions, which is um, tricky for some of us. Yes. Do you think that it seems that mental health discussions uh, are held more broadly and you see it across social media and young people talk about it a lot more. Do you think that mental health literacy is getting better? I think it is getting better. Um, certainly when I was growing up, and I'm in my late 30s, and I also grew up overseas, there was no conversation about mental health at all. Mm. It was just this thing that was seen as seen as taboo. Whereas I'm really pleased to see now some of these concepts filtering through. 
Look, at times it does make my work a little bit harder because people come in with really firm ideas about the kinds of di- mm-hmm. exactly, but the but the kinds of diagnoses that they might have, and you know we have to sift sift through and talk about why that might not be entirely correct. But I usually find that people who approach therapy out there wanting help, and they're 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 happy to have some of those some of those deeper conversations and be guided to some extent by my expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think overall very, very positive. Um, maybe a couple of little things to watch for there in terms of how we're using language like gaslighting, toxic, narcissist, psychopath. Um, People using it like too casually. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, especially the whole psychopathy thing. Everyone Are you sure you're not just gaslighting us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've only had the one coffee. So oh, well, yeah. I can do now. You write about acceptance of others and say, I rarely speak in absolutes, but I will say that it is impossible to feel for someone else what we cannot feel for ourselves. What do you mean by that? So it's going to be really hard to accept that a person's can be can be flawed, can be weak, can can make mistakes if we can't hold that we, that we all can. So if we hold this anger toward ourselves, the sense of perfection, this, this sense of, of, of I can't stuff up, then we are going to hold the same standard for other people. Mm. So really what I'm um, talking about there is that this concept of self-acceptance and this, and this concept of really understanding that as human beings we are all frail and we all stuff up at times has to sit for for us to be able to accept other people as well. Is there a trap ever when a person might be well-meaning that uh, is it bad for someone's mental health to approach the world as it should be rather than as it is? So if you approach the world wishing it was a certain way but it's not, it makes you upset. Yep, so expectations. So I talk in the book a little bit about about how to tweak your expectations and I think that that's the core issue that you're kind of touching on there, that we all have thoughts about about what we want from life and some of those expectations are realistic and some aren't. And I think generationally we're probably having to calibrate our expectations now in quite a different way to what our parents and grandparents had. And if we approach the world with a shilly film idea of this is how things should be, and I'm not going to discount that because we all want equity, fairness, basic basic standards of living. So I'm not going to not not going to gaslight people by saying <laughs> that's wrong. But if things don't don't work out a certain way, then it is important to have the capacity to to swing with that to you know problem solve where we can, but to also change how we how we how we think and maybe tweak our expectations slightly otherwise we are always going to be feeling really bad because we've got this gap that we're looking at Mm. instead of looking at what we maybe have and we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for i think we can cope with more than we give ourselves credit for and that doesn't mean that we should so talking about things like harassment bullying racism i'm not i'm not ever going to say that we that we should but i think if those things happen to come our way then we can probably cope with with them and we can find ways to problem solve and you're going to bat ever so subtly for comfort eating I actually had chocolate um, in my in my list of skills twice, and then when I was doing my final copy edit, I went, "Oh no, chocolate's in this list twice." And I earmarked that for my editor and said, "You can either take one out or you can leave both of it and say that I like it so much that I rely on it." Look, it's it's a it's a skill, you know. We all we all use it. I think we may as well accept that we do and make sure that it's not the only skill that we have. Um, just like alcohol use, we we want to sometimes maybe be able to have a glass of wine to unwind 
or a coffee to start your day, but you don't want that to be the only tool in your repertoire. Mm. And how is radio in person as opposed to doing it over the phone? And how can you speak to connection maybe in that I regard? I like making eye contact yeah. with people. <laughs> what a thrill. I know. It's so strange, especially after three years of doing therapy via Zoom during the pandemic, oh. which was fine. Like, good that we could still do that. Mm. But God, that was, that was hard at times. Mm. So... I really missed being in front of people. And you've got better headphones than um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, the book in question is Life Skills for a Broken World. It's uh, full of advice. It's very concisely written. And it's by Dr. Ahona Guha. It's out via Scribe. And it's been a great pleasure to meet you, Dr. Ahona Guha. Life Skills for a Broken World. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Melbourne's own Triple R. <laughs> We're chuffed to have Sean Dooley with us for the first time this year on Breakfast's Morning Birdman. Good morning. I, I see what you did there. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if many people know there is a bird called a chuff. Uh, thank you for catching that's, that. That's top Was it a stuff. <laughs> uh, No, never, what is the, uh, never correct an error in your favour. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, uh, some dispiriting news lately. Yeah, yeah, after that, that high start to the year. Um, yeah, I have to say... This year, this week's been a, a pretty dreadful week for those of us who've been following the um, the duck shooting issue. And I, I mean, at at heart, really, the, the the main issue with duck shooting has been the cruelty. And uh, it, just to add to that cruelty, uh, a bit of personal cruelty here from the way the government's handled this. As as somebody who actually is, you know, working in conservation, working in, you know, trying to protect wildlife. Uh, you don't have many wins. And last year I was um, represented BirdLife Australia on, on the Victorian State uh, Parliamentary Inquiry into duck shooting and got to present the arguments. Not so much uh, we're a scientific organisation, so we weren't presenting the humanitarian arguments, but presenting the arguments about why duck shooting is is bad. Um in terms of populations of water birds and the welfare of those populations and also the the damage it does to to threatened species whether other threatened and non-target species not only do they get shot every year and we see that constantly when when you're allowed access uh, but also the the habitat disturbance habitat destruction um, that 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 occurs when shooters are there so I got to present all of this evidence and saying we we have a, you know, the science shows there's been sometime a, a massive decline in waterbird numbers across Australia in the last 40 years, and that's not uh, that that's not specifically due to duck shooting. That's not what what is causing the decline. It's water management, it's uh, climate, it's it's habitat loss, all those sorts of things. But the fact that in Victoria you have on average every year 300,000 plus ducks that are recorded as being killed not to mention any of the ones that are maimed is is having a multiplier effect on that downward pressure and there is no way you're going to get population recovery if you continue to take that number out of, of the system so presented all that evidence uh got an incredible grilling it was kind of it was almost like uh, you know it was well, welcome to politics boy were you <laughs> at a desk with the 
you, what interrogators or whatever you yeah, call yeah, them I'd, on I'd the had, other side. I had to go in, into the belly of the beast and appear at the at sale at the hearing there, uh, where the the committee had been shown around by the local uh, uh, shooters association at their property, their wetland property. So I was greeted with the. Um, uh, it was interesting that the, the politics of this in Victoria are the majority of people don't want duck shooting um, in Victoria. All the polls are clear, like a massive, like not just a 50-50. This is, if this was a referendum, it would get up. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. how, that's how emphatic people don't like it, like 70, 80, 90, 90%, depending on the polls. We know that the majority of politicians, uh, parliamentarians, don't approve of duck shooting either. However, both the, the, the politics of this state, we think of Victoria as a progressive state, Yet it reverts back very much to we know who runs this, the the old boys club, the school tie sort of thing when issues like this happen because the the Liberal Party are generally against it but they do have some rural members who are for it and but they're beholden to the National Party who... Um, who have a strong duck shooting contingent. The Labor Party are generally against it, but they're beholden to certain uh, factional members, including some of the unions who've come out, you know, saying that they love they love to go out with the boys. Because you've tried to ruin their weekend. Uh, yeah, mm. go out with the boys and shoot up a whole lot of wildlife. That's uh, And the interesting thing was it, one of the issues that uh, Jacinta Allen said it's it's good for people's mental health and to you do ducks. to shoot ducks and you do think if if you have mental health problems going out and killing something is probably not really addressing your mental health problem. Mm, <laughs> so mental health professionals would advise that as a form of yeah, therapy. But. Yes, no. So can, can I ask? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, and if there's like the aspect of like being out in nature, you know, mm. it, it, go for a walk without <laughs> a gun. <laughs> True. So is is there anything in the report that might be considered or adopted? It, the um, what's well, it's one of these things. The the it, it was a, a majority. That this is this is where the personal cruelty and you know not that I'm comparing what I've gone through to anything that the ducks or the duck rescue people or that you know the, the the people that have put their their bodies on the line and have to deal with the talk about mental health. Imagine going out and trying to trying to rescue ducks that have been maimed. You know that that's full on. But the cruelty is that we were listened to the. The parliamentary committee majority report actually quoted the, some of the evidence that I that I gave that came from our research people, and some of our arguments. and And it was amazing to think like you don't get wins like that. You don't. You're not used to being listened to when you're involved in conservation. So the the recommendation sat there. There was a change of premier, potentially a change of um, of attitude, and then this week. The, the essentially the main recommendation that duck shooting be discontinued has been rejected. Most of the other recommendations, the minor things, have been uh, that the government has said they will follow those. Now, a lot of those things that they're saying they're not doing till 2025, for starters. So this year, it's game on. You know, it's just basically, yeah, okay, all the stuff that has been identified as wrong, uh, the, the, the lack of oversight, the... Uh, the, the, the fact that, you know, every year just what's reported, you know, there's a, something like 3% wounding rate of birds that are, that are shot and, and, 
aren't collected and that's just what's reported because we know out of sight, out of mind, there's no no constraint on people, on shooters most of the time. And while there is a core of people who shoot in in good faith with, with good... Um, you know, with good intentions and do feel that it is a connection for them and things. The, the, we, we know every year the evidence is just this massive, it's a massive free-for-all that's that's unregulated and that's not going to change because there's no resources being put to it. And even in 2025 when it's supposedly coming in, um, you know, how the, to actually police this properly would be such a, an economic burden on any government that it's never going to happen. Mm. So we're going to see, um, you know, the, the continued um, the continued pressure on our waterbird populations, the continued desecration of uh, of our wetlands in terms of the disturbance to threatened species, the disturbance to, to non-game species. So it's um, yeah, it, it's so cr- cruel personally mm. to think. Crikey, somebody actually listened to us and now, no, actually, we did and we've decided no. Mm. As as you mentioned, the the recommendations that are being adopted in full or in principle, but not for a year, making education training for hunters mandatory, what's that going to look like? Are they sending Birdman out there to (laughs) copper grilling in front of hunters? Yeah, well, I mean, currently the, the training is you get to do an online identification course and that's pretty much it. Um, and and I think from uh, people who've done it is you only need to get seven out of ten right so uh, and or 70% correct. And, and that's just looking at, at photos. I think perhaps I, I have heard that they, they now have video there, but essentially, you know, as, as a you know, hardcore bird watcher... I'm when sorry, a duck sorry. Flies up, so is that... It's like, here's a video of a bird. Is it a duck or you're allowed to shoot it? And if you get it wrong, you can't... Well, you, you get you, that's the nature wrong. of the question. If you, yeah, if, yeah, essentially, yeah. Here's, here's a picture of a bird. Can you shoot it? Right. Um, what, what's this bird, basically? And, uh, and, and being out in wetlands when a flock of ducks fly up, yeah. um, as an, you know, a decades-long experienced birder, I still have to double-check. Mm. Um, you know, the birds like the the Australasian shoveler, which was on the game list, uh, and it's now um, it's now off the game list because it's become vulnerable in Victoria officially. So, mm. uh, you know, but but it was it was still allowed to be shot up until two seasons ago. Um, and when they fly up, like people, the hunters know them as blue wing shovelers uh, because the males do have blue in the wing, and the males in breeding plumage do look quite distinctive. They've got a bluish head and things like that. However, in poor light and outside of the breeding season, the males don't look as bright as normal. The females don't look bright, so they, as they go up, they look exactly or they look very similar. In, in that moment to the Pacific black duck as in flight. And you can't see the blue in the wing as they fly, um, you, despite the name. It, it, it's not, it's not to- immediately evident. And so as a, when I'm out in wetlands doing surveys, you know, I have to double-check those flocks to try and identify wh- which ones are the shoveler. They're about the same size as the species you can shoot. So mm. you tell me how a shooter is able to, you know, in a second. Yeah, do that mm. calculation in a split second and then let rip with 
a shotgun pellet, which if they if their aim isn't great, it's going to take it's going to maim birds around the the target, even if they get the target right. So the the training they're talking about, I, as far as I can tell, is is not identification. It's more about more firearms training, uh, which which is you know sure that would be great. You don't want you don't want idiots out there. Yeah. But I think it's almost. That, that's almost the um, prerequisite, it seems. Yeah, is there talk about penalty increases? Well, the enforcement we currently have is is laughable. Um, in fact, that there's so there's such little enforcement, and and the um, compliance officers from the Game Management Authority and the, the Parks Victoria or, or whoever else has Environment Department, whoever whoever else gets there, even the police. Most of the attention is put on the wetlands where there are duck rescuers. And because th- this is the irony, is I, I'm not allowed on a lot of wetlands uh, in Victoria during duck season. If I go there, I can be fined, even if I'm just going there to, to birdwatch because I don't have a shooter's licence. Mm-hmm. So it, a designated wetland means that Unless you have a shooter's licence, you're not allowed to be there. No, no, no entry. If you if you look at the fines that arise out of duck season over the last ten years, the majority are people that did not have guns, uh, people that were there to try and either record the atrocities that are going on or to rescue the maimed animals that that weren't weren't shot correctly. Extraordinary. And they're the ones that that get the focus of the um, of of most of the the legal enforcement. So, mm. yeah, how do you, you know, you have several hundred public wetlands uh, that are game reserves that people can go and shoot at, um, but there are literally thousands of small wetlands on private land that are open to shooters if the, if the private landholder lets them. How do you police that? And on top of that, we, we saw evidence in the inquiry that of landholders, private landholders who don't want people trespassing, don't want shooters on there, and the shooters go on anyway. So, you know, and and that never gets policed. Well, you gave it everything, Birdman, so you can't (laughs) ask for more than that for all your advocacy. And uh, so congratulations on all your efforts and commiserations on the result. Mm. And uh, good luck, I suppose, next time you're in sale. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thanks very much, Birdman. Triple... Yesterday, I bought a new reusable water bottle and they're out of control. They're getting way too big. Have you seen the stock on the shelves recently? They're just a few sizes down from a water tank. (laughs) (laughs) They are like around two litres they're sitting at. That's a lot, isn't it? It's It's a lot to carry. It's two kilos to carry around. It's embarrassing. I have noticed it. Uh, One of my sisters, I've noticed her water bottle just like getting bigger, like incrementally. It's like how are you – it's incredibly impractical. What did you opt for? I I opted for just your classic stainless steel um, half a litre water bottle. Half a litre is – you may as well carry around a thimble. Okay. Well, all right. Because I – There are (laughs) – I find because I've I've had a litre water bottle for years that I carry everywhere, mm. um, and sometimes I think it doesn't fit in the cup holder. Anyway, when I've had to downsize to five hundred mils, that's two glasses of water. That's like four sips, like four big sips, and then it's empty. That's I just a find gulp. It, I mean, that's a gulp. 
I mean, yeah, admittedly, you have, as we learnt yesterday, a notoriously large mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she likes the jars so much with the wide opening. Excuse me. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I agree. If, you, if it's 500 mils, you, you, all you're doing is inconveniencing yourself. I'd prefer to be dehydrated. Well, no one's dehydrated, apparently, with, like, base purely off the size of these water bottles. And I feel like they're becoming more of, like, a fashion accessory. It's, I find that side of it so weird. It is. It's like a – I think – the young people on TikTok are talking. Oh, hydration is water, trending. Water, water, water. It is. Water Talk has a billion, over a billion views. Yeah, what the hell is Water Talk? Water I know. Talk is a TikTok trend. They're they're obsessed with hydration on TikTok. I, it's crazy. It's it's. I mean, look, good to be obsessed with hydration rather than <laughs> bad things. Like, but it is weird how yeah, things move in trends. There's so many things to address here. It's overwhelming. Yes. So. I just, okay, with your water bottle, Mon, mm. leader, it's quite wide. They're kind of like the outdoor. It's a Nalgene. And Nalgene, that's it. Big wide open mouth, a big gulp. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like it's like, yeah, water bottles are kind of falling into that. Or... You plug it in like filling up a jumbo jet for petrol. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's Mon drinking. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't be able to make it into work. I'm refueling my water bottle tomorrow morning. It's quite a process. We get the hose out. We get it out once a month and we roll out the water bottle. But I feel like they're becoming like a bit of a, an indicator or like a bit of a style thing. And I think the Nalgene is like the most credible. Like it... I think. Oh, yeah, for me. My, from my oh, perspective, yeah, my sister and her partner, they're like in outdoor education. I don't know. Oh, I just yeah. associate it with hikers, outdoor activities. Very sturdy. You do warrant, like I feel like it's legitimate that you need that litre of water. Like, yeah, maybe you're commuting or you could be doing an afternoon hike. Mm-hmm. Like I think it is important that you mm-hmm. have that water. I think you are legitimately you know committed to sustainability like usually mm. the the water bottles look loved the nalgene yeah, there's a sticker on it yeah. there um then i think you've got but i just let it be known this mm. is not fashion <laughs> no i'm not saying it's fashion but i feel like it has tipped in and yeah what you were saying with the, the water talk because the hot topic is the stanley cups that's right that all the the gen z have got these giant like sippy cups which I didn't – I had no idea what a Stanley Cup was until like three weeks ago mm. and I get to Google it and there was like a Vox article explaining why these Stanley Cups are so popular and I was like, oh, cool, maybe there's a really interesting reason and then no. like 2,000 words later when I finished the article it was just like – 2,000 words? I don't know. Young people yeah. on TikTok was the explanation. Oh, I'm like, great. Yeah. So it was, an, it was a deep dive explainer and it was just the, because it was a trend. That's it. I got a – Voss bottle with a in a stubby holder. Ah, uh, uh, seven like hundred and fifty mils. Voss glass. at the moment. Yes, and it's disappeared. It, they're difficult to find. I just mm. found them so impractical because it's glass. Do you know how many times I've dropped my water bottle? Thus, the stubby holder in the bottom. Mm, clever. Impractical. You couldn't fit that in any cup holder. That now, Jean. Yes, but um, or on a bike. That's couldn't you? I don't. I don't cycle. No, you couldn't. Nah, I'm too got too but, much water weight. See, think with a glass bottle. Yeah. Say with vodka, you can see how much there is to go. I have no idea how much you've drunk. Looking at your oh, stainless yes. steel, you can feel it by weight. You pick it up, and I go, oh, about a quarter. Actually, no, half full. But it, they're quite heavy. This, those stainless steel ones are quite heavy anyway. 
So mm. I feel like because I – So it's a weight concern, is it, for you? It's – Oh, uh, my bowel. I've got back issues. My water bottle. No, it's like because it's misleading because you think, oh, there's some water in here and, mm. and, and then you open you go, oh, sweet, sweet hydration and then it's empty. And I've already clocked that by looking at – my brain hasn't even registered that I've – and you've picked it up and gone, is that the – Yeah. So I've – I don't know. I, I just I, – I have a preference for glass, but I'm, I realise I'm out on my own here. No, I can. No, I understand. I can. I can see where you're coming from there. But let's talk about like how much water are we even drinking? Because like, I uh, mean, how much water? How many liters are we supposed to be drinking? Well, a it day? depends on who you are. Apparently, okay. phys- physiologically, it's it, it's different for different people and even different cultures. I, I think perhaps Dr. Jen mentioned it, but it's. Yeah, the like water the ten thousand step thing. Like we've just settled on eight glasses a day. There, there yeah, might be a bit plucked of that. it out of yeah mm. thin air. Someone did send a picture of their Nalgene with a triple R bumper sticker, oh, which is always a great use. And I've seen that a bit. There's always great stickers on yeah. the Nalgene. Um, but I think two liters. I'll, I'll easily clock two liters because I'll because that's two of them, and then mm. I might fill it up again and not finish that. How do you carry the Nalgene? So by its little loop. By its loop. Sometimes that, sometimes in my hand. And in the <laughs> my hand around it generally. Okay? okay. If you're feeling if you've had a good night's sleep. Yeah. yeah and you feel like you've got that extra strength. You take you know. around. And do you ever Ooh. worry about leakage? Because all of these water bottles are no, this doesn't leak proof. Leak. Uh-uh. This and do you know what? Will has one of these as well. And it was leaking. Mm-hmm. Not long after he bought it, and he took it back to the camping store, and they're like, "Oh, absolutely not! That's <gasps> faulty." Gave him a new one because they're like they don't leak. Uh, yeah. Look at that! So all not... over the desk. Wow! That's so Listeners, wide. if you could see what she is doing, she is tipping a lead, like dangling a liter Isn't, of water over the desk. Doesn't it feel there's millimeter measurements on it or mills? Sorry, yeah. um, and ounces. Right. I mean, on what planet? It, it seems. All, it looks like you. Uh, drinking out of kitchen utensil. Well, it's helpful to know that I, it's also good for me if I ever need to convert mm. ounces to mils. I go, oh, so 32 <laughs> ounces is about a litre. Now I know. Okay. <laughs> if you're hydrating with a palm. If, I, <laughs> if I'm ordering a big gulp or whatever it is that they drink. I was the actually Googling yesterday the, the ounces to millilitres. See, so now you, you could have just, just looked at your, your water bottle like I do. Well, that takes both. Surely, would you get around that bottle just for the transparency of it? You can see the liquid. No, because it, it looks. You, Do you like the? It color? looks like a yeah, baby. Because Mon's hand cannot. I think any cup or receptacle, a hand should make at least half the diameter. Mm. You, you should. Does that? Oh, I yeah. think that's right. You should go halfway around. Have the you circle. ever had a pint? You're not. That's not. If my hand can fit over halfway around a pint. Oh, okay, don't yeah. you worry about don't that. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I've, held, I've held plenty of pints <laughs> in my time. In my no one's ever complained about my pint holding. Picking up a pint. a bit like Trump with the small hand defence. <laughs> Forget checking IDs or anything at the pub. It's like if you need two hands to pick up the pint. You're not allowed. No beer <laughs> for you. I, I I think, but do you know what what my issue was with this big plastic water oh, bottle? Oh, here we go. I'll be honest, doesn't keep it cool. Yeah, it's not insulated. Mm. I do like I do like an insulated water bottle. Yeah, and this I can go hot one. and cold, hot and cold. For how long? What do they claim? Uh probably thirty six hours. That's I think, a guess. I think that was the thing with the Stanley Cup when it blew yes. up. Right? Is that there was someone put a TikTok 
video up. She just called it a TikTok. On, and, oh, yeah. And it was of like their car had burnt down or something and their mm. Stanley Cup was still unscathed in the cup holder mm. after it had been in the car fire. But the whole thing is, right, Every their whole marketing strategy is that these cups will last a lifetime. But now people are like stockpiling them like, be- like, like them. beanie babies mm. and then it's sort of saying, well, the idea is that you only need one and that's their business model. But now people want them all in all different colours or whatever. I don't know. You know it's, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but there was um, someone claim. Yeah, I did read like a testimony for it. And they're like, your ice cubes will last all day in a Stanley Cup. But it's like, make yourself a glass of water, enjoy it, drink it and be done with it. It's like you don't mm. need a cup that we can transport also, drinking ice out of cubes a around straw. all day. What about like, like a, a child? Cost, what a cost me bag that you can drink. <laughs> well, there's oh, oh, cyclists. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, I think you call it a camel pack. A camel, a camel pack. pack. Not a colostomy bag. Dang. Yeah, but the, the, the straw just comes up by your collar. Yeah, Ooh. let's bring them back. Oh, yeah, the, so then you don't even have to – you just have it constantly next to your mouth like yeah. a Madonna mark. Yeah. Just take this sippy cup, toddler crap to the full extent. <laughs> yeah, and just have a straw dangling by your mouth <laughs> at all times. Ah, that's right, Triple R. We're fortunate to be joined this morning by our Friday Funny Bugger, the Golden Giver on Piece of Water winning comedian, actor and highbrow larrikin, Dave the Quirk. Morning, David. Morning, guys. How are you all? Good. Pleasure to be here. It, it is. It is for us to have you. When was the last time you were in studio? Well, it's been years. It would be well before COVID, I would imagine. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I remember as I walked in, I, it felt like... I know the place. Yeah. It's nice to be back. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. We haven't done a refer. No, that's fine by me. <laughs> I could paint the place. That's what I'll talk to you about. Well, you need to do a what refer. you've been up to. That, well, yeah, okay. For starters, I just wanted to say I heard yesterday your water bottle chat, mm. yeah. which you brought up, Nat, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah, And I'm on your side, 500 mils, which Thank I know you. goes against your sort of spirituality. It does. Mon. Do you know, because if you look at my bottle, 500 mils is already gone. I'd be empty, it'd be empty yeah, by now. You're quite close to a tap, you know? <laughs> And no, I can't if you live t- in a, anything urban, I think you'll probably... And also the big wide... I love the Nalgene. we got that in common. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But, yeah, I think you want that little... Is it a spout? Yeah. Is that what you the, call it? What do you call the... The mouth? A teat. Mouth. Yeah. The teat. Yeah, it's definitely not the a teat. The teat yeah. at the bottle. And, and I'm Opening. also like the glass Voss, Daniel. Oh, thank you very much. But I'm unsure about the stubby holder because... You know, God, you're being very you're diplomatic gonna... here. So anyway, that's no, not no, what I need to talk well, about. So no, the stubby but... holder prevents the smashing. Why are you opposed? To Provided the you drop it one way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It could well, also tip out of the stubby holder. It's, you could also be a really aerodynamic klutz. <laughs> that's right. You could also not drop it. You know, like yeah. as, as an adult, um, <laughs> you could try that. But um, yeah, so I have been. Um, I want to talk about sort of what I've been up to. Late last year, I found myself. Uh, a builder friend said, could you paint a house for me, right? And I had very little experience, but we did it. Sure, I painted a room here or there, the wrong colour, but I fixed that up, didn't charge them. <laughs> and then the year ended and Christmas, New Year's, and then my friend Declan Fay, who was a former breakfaster, I yes, believe, he said to me, uh, we need our house painted. Do you want to do it? And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting that it's coming back around. So it'll be at least a month's work and I'm sort of in the middle of it right now. But at, around the same time as that starting, my partner flew to Bali to be a so-called digital nomad working from over there. And mm-hmm. I'm typically the person that's always going away. And so I was all at, all at sea. Mm. You know, so I didn't know what to do with myself. So much freedom. It was insane. And then Declan says, do you want to paint my house? I'm like, great, I'll do that. Happy to do that. Could use some cash. 
And so I got there and started painting and within probably by day two he said his partner's out she's a CEO of a company of some kind and he said I've got to go out for six or seven hours can you look after my boys <laughs> while I'm and I said I didn't even think too hard about it but I'm like yeah fine so I would be painting and they'd be kicking a soccer ball and I'd keep an eye on them and open the lounge room door and they'd be you know on Netflix watching Saltburn or something <laughs> And that's neither my fault or problem, really. But, the you know, scene. I think I'm doing a pretty good job. And then I don't know if it got to a place after, like, just Monday gone, I'm painting. And he said, so Monday was obviously the first day back at school for kids, right? Mm. He said, could you pick up the kids from school? I'm not even joking. And, and again, I didn't think about it, but I started to think about the ethics of a stranger Strange man picking up, covered in paint. (laughs) I was was also wearing a Legionnaire's cap, which so looking like a child myself. Mm. And then, you know, just saying to parents that might be in earshot, uh, you know, I'm a friend of your parents, come with me. (laughs) Totally. It's like, I don't know, but it seemed. I'm meant to be here, I swear. Yeah. yeah. Also, you're kind of like a frog in the boiling water. It's like you're coming to paint in the house, then you're. Well, that's it. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Pick I wonder if, what, what, when it's going to be. He's just going to go. You're, you're, you're ready. Just <laughs> be uh, slip and into my life. Or you're something. a Declan now. Yeah, yeah. So, no, but it's 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 been really good. But and you to those kids would be Dave the painter because I remember having Dave the plasterer growing up, uh-huh. who was always around. I mean, maybe well, he was picking us up from school. Dave the plasterer used to call up called drunk as well i remember when my pets were away and my nan was looking after us anyway so yeah yeah, look into the crystal ball i could call drunk (laughs) work drunk okay cool thanks can i tell you david i I have a child and i was i took a photograph of him and at a christmas carols event and a a woman came (laughs) charging up to me uh trying to protect my son from me Oh, see, it's a it's a world gone mad, oh, yeah. isn't it? She actually appeared in a photograph that I took of him and she's wearing a jumper that says Rose all day. Oh. Yeah, well then who's the real who's the real problem? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take this photo, I'm painting his house. It's fine. <laughs> You've got a drinking problem, lady. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, what uh, what I'm saying is I guess why I'm here, uh, talking about painting, having sort of less shame than I thought I would at turning my hand or something like that. I'm not doing the comedy festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, in a way I have nothing to promote. But I would, I've got this idea that maybe I'm going to keep doing this and yeah. I've, I'd like to sort of pitch my business idea, which is uh, Cobra and Sons. Uh, <laughs> I don't have kids, but Cobra and Sons, well. painting, decorating and, you know, child-minding <laughs> services. Yeah. Quite seriously, I'm happy to, happy to do that. Yeah. If anyone's interested. Is the fee going up with all this babysitting? Well, I don't know. That's interesting because I'm painting it with a guy called Eddie as well a little bit. And when he, because I'm so close to Declan, Mm. I was like, yeah, of course I'll be here while the kids are here. Mm. But he said, I felt a bit guilty about what I'm being paid, partly as an amateur. Mm. And and then he's like, no, man, you're looking after the kids as well. Like, Mm. take the money. So... Does that answer your question? Yeah. What about oh, the, take of... the cash? And what about the uh, paint fumes? Is that do the kids enjoy they're, that? They're quite low apparently okay. because uh, his partner is very, very uh, into the sort of health, and I can't smell a thing. Okay. Maybe I've been around it too long. Yeah. <laughs> you can get low emission, low f- 
low, uh, you know, low, low fumes paint. Mm. Uh, and have you done YouTube tutorials or how do you know that you're doing a good of job? Of course. When they're home, I'll pop off to the bathroom and just <laughs> double check something. So, you know, it all stays above board. But in, term, in terms of the painting, what can, what can go wrong? What do painters get wrong? And, or do you like, well, if Declan's likes it, that's fine by me. Uh, I'll, t- I'll say one thing they got wrong is they've got a terrible ladder. Uh-huh. It's no good. Mm. Uh, you can get things wrong like I would say probably painting the wrong colour is like sort <laughs> yeah. of 101. Didn't they select that? How does, can you walk us through that Did they provide you with the Okay, this was at the tins? former job yes, I did late yes. last year. The colours were so similar. Um, <laughs> sort of like beautiful sort of – I don't know what oh, – I can't believe I'm a painter. Anyway <laughs> – yeah, and it was just easy to do. And then I painted the entire room before my boss slash other friend came in and just went, man, that is the wrong colour. No. So I, you learn quite quickly and slash slow. Painting is one of those jobs that is Slowly and then all at once. Yeah. difficult yeah. because you'll go in and you'll see a house that's been professionally painted. Yeah. I'm not saying you're not professional, but no, no you're I think straight I'm, up calling yourself an amateur. That, uh, yeah, but that's because I'm covering my arse. I think I'm quite good at it. Do you? Like you, you should can be me, good, but you not should professional. You should send me cut in. You know? <gasps> oh, the what? You know about cutting in? No, Tell me we're no, not painters no, Neither did I. <laughs> but anyone that knows anything is like rolling their eyes. But cutting in is where you'll, if you have to mix the colours of the corners, mm. you know, you have to use a brush instead of a roller to get the nice little edge. Mm. You know? And that, like, I should be paid just for that. <laughs> yeah, the cutting in. What about the architraves? Because I know mm. I... Or cornices was, and things? Yeah, that was always my job as a kid I had to sand the architraves to prep them for the painting yeah, my that, mum would paint them and that's that's tough that's detailed work it, yeah this, the prep is the worst but anyway what I want to talk about <laughs> is sorry um, I'd like to actually run this Cobra and Sons uh, as an ethical kind of painting company you're okay. Cobra I'm Cobra you'll have a tattoo it's a word of the word Cobra I say it all the time Comedy Fest was show named Cobra that's right yeah. yeah and I talked about that in the last show I did um, it's just a term of endearment it's like mate or something okay. I don't know where I started doing it but it just seems like a fun name but I was wondering about how because there's so much waste in all building and even painting to a lesser degree but I wondered, like, could I do an ethical painting company somehow where it's like you don't even – I wouldn't even use dyes, so no colours. Oh. It's just – have you ever – you know, uh, the colour of, like, natural cotton? Mm-hmm. You know that sort of boring beigey colour? That would be the colour of all the paint mm. and it's the only paint you can have. Mm. So it's like I will paint your goddamn house – but it will be this colour. <laughs> yeah, right. And are you ethical or not? You know, oh, a diva painter. Yeah, people yeah. would go for that for sure. It's I think organic. It's, yeah, mm. and then you get to have me around. You yeah. know, like it's funny because I'm a comedian that's technically made it in inverted commas. Mm. Um, you know, I've been on TV. Mm. So and yet, so I think wouldn't you want that person in your house, mm. like for morale? Basically. Oh, yeah. It beats doing a, like a cameo. You know how people send well wishes on video to people? Yes, it's just a lot more time consuming <laughs> than that. I'll be in your house for I weeks might, all yeah, day. literally. With your children. With your kids. Yeah, whether you like it or not. Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and you choose the colour. For me, that's the biggest appeal. I think the taking the well, choice out of it. Well, the, Yeah, but the painter doesn't choose the colour either. There just is no... There's no choice. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's fantastic. That's right. You have to do what you're told. And for your oh, next... so I dictate. Yeah, I like what you're saying. The next mm. gig, will do they have to provide the ladder or might at that point you have your I own? think I'm, if I do it again, which I will, I hope I, we should take some calls. I'd like to... Um, <laughs> Well, I'd like to make this business happen if anyone's keen. But I also think more comedians should 
sort of be unafraid of doing other things like this. Side hustles. Like, you know, your big names, your Will Andersons and stuff, instead of doing sort of middling, uh, non-scripted TV to sort of subsidise their, you know, grim addictions and things, <laughs> I think they should turn to something more honest and j- equally a soul-destroying. Yeah. Mm. Equally You've even got a paint hat. I do. You've seen the picture, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> yeah. A Dulux hat. Oh. Yeah. Not to say brand names here. Dulux are probably but like you probably the bunnings the part. of paint. You, you look the part. Yes, I do. It's I do. the real deal. I look the part. Is it method acting? It, it might be. Method. I'm trying to work it out, Mon. Yeah. If, well, if this, this is, is like performance art or a real business, I think it's somewhere it's both. Mm. Yeah. Who Sorry, played Dan. Batman? Christopher. Uh, Chris, uh, what's his Christopher name? Christopher uh, Walk. Uh, no. Um, but, well, anyway, the, the, the famous actor, he said... He got into insurance policy, it, like a tree was over his neighbour's fence mm. and he couldn't be bothered. He was like, you know what, this is a role. Mm. And so he he took it on and he he was on the phone to his insurer and they're like, we have never heard, seen a customer across the detail wow. and be so good at this. Okay, well, I, I can relate to yeah, that. And, well, I don't know if I'm that good, but I, I well, think the job is good. It might be a bit slow at the moment. But just, mm. let's, Christian Bale. Just edit that bit oh, out. Christian I'm not Bale. slow. No. So, Dead Christian Beat. Bale. Can we follow you on Instagram? Yes, Dead Beat. D-E-D-B-E-E-T. Mm. Like beetroot. And um, uh, Cobra Painting and Sons. Now all you need is... Just Cobra and Sons, though, right? <laughs> you leave painting out of it cause you can, so you can diversify. Yeah, okay. It could be more than child yeah. mining and painting. Yeah. It's just... Um, <laughs> Whatever you want it could to be. be. It's everything. And the I'll asterisk I'll paint your house. I'll paint your kids. <laughs> I'll mind them. I'll paint bloody anything. And then, they're obviously the Sons, they have to... The client has to provide. I don't the know sons. how that works. Someone said you can't. It should be Cobra and Son. Yeah. Apparently, I'm like, what's wrong with Sons? I think it's. And I love that you're specifying only Sons. No, yeah, get your like, daughter out of here. The your fact dog. that I put an S in the name is the one thing wrong with my business. Yeah. David Quirk, uh, I hope to have you back again soon. Thanks, mate. Thank you, folks. Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website. <laughs>